Phil Hay Show. Hello and welcome to the show. If you want to get involved in the football at the weekend, there's a huge range of markets on Bet365, including first, last or anytime goal scorers and loads more with over 45 million members. It's the world's favorite online betting company. And with Bet365's Bet Builder, you can create your own personalized bets, combining match results, players to score, number of goals and more. And if you can't get to see the games on the TV with Bet365's Match live feature, you can follow everything that happens through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sports betting company. The app is available for you now to download at Google Play and the Apple App Store. It's for over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. The Phil Hay Show is brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. My name is Dan Moylan. Hello. And Phil Hay is here from The Athletic. Hi, Phil. Hello. And Michael Normanson from The Square Ball. Hello. There's a 30-day free trial for The Athletic if you want to catch up with all Phil's stuff that he's written about this glorious promotion and what it means for Leeds as we charge towards the Premier League. Head to theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod right now. No ads on there, no clickbait. You can get all the podcasts ad-free as well. Just all those great stories from Phil. And loads, loads more. Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pods. 2019-2020, done and dusted then, gentlemen. And we've seen the trophy being lifted at Ellen Road last night, which capped off what has been an incredible week or two at Ellen Road. You were there, Phil, so can you take us through what it was like to be in the stadium? I had my gaze on both camps last night because although Leeds kind of had their feet up um, and and were wrapping the season off, already champions uh, and, and knew where they were. It was a it was a fairly mad night in the championship and the Athletic wanted us to to kind of do an, an overall picture of what was going on where and, and how it unfolded as the evening went on. Um so I obviously had Charlton at Ellen Road who in the end were, were relegated. Uh, so I was was watching, you know, keeping an eye on Boyer and, and them as, as much as I was Leeds last night. And it was that kind of horrible contrast of lions on one side feasting on zebras and, and up the other end starving hyenas desperately hoping that they were going to be able to find some food from somewhere and I, I thought Leeds were, were absolutely terrific I thought it was probably as as confident and swaggering a performance as we've seen under Bielsa and I, I accept that the circumstances helped there was zero pressure um, they were up against a team who were so limited it's it's not really a surprise that they've gone down in the end but some of the football was, was absolutely sublime and, and I thought the most pleasing thing about last night was the way in which he was able to throw on players like Shackleton and Stevens and, and Bogut's and, and see them really thrive. You know, I think that was the that was what stood out for me. It wasn't that Hernandez was not making Charlton players from five yards away because that's what Hernandez does. But it was that somebody like Shackleton and, and somebody like Bogut's was able to go on and play against championship players and look considerably better than a lot of them, if not most of them. So fabulous night for Leeds. I did feel very, very sorry for Boyer watching Charlton. It just made you realise... Their ownership issues are every bit on a par with some of the ownership issues that Leeds have had the past 15 years. He's lost players to injuries, lost players um, on the basis that some of them, particularly Lyle Taylor, didn't want to play on beyond June the 30th. He's lost others to loans that have ended early. He had two strikers up front last night who were in non-league this time last year. And and it really is no mystery as to why they've, they've finished in the bottom three. And right the way through... From start to finish, you, you sat and you thought you can see without even having to to watch for more than you know a short period why it is that Leeds are going up and why it is that Charlton are going down. So, what was it like laying your eyes on Bielsa and Cooper lifting that trophy inside the stadium? Because it's something being denied for the supporters, which is a real shame. It's the one big shame about all this. But you were there. Uh, what was that moment like? 
it, it's one of those moments that will stick with you. And, and I think it's one of those moments that reminds you of why actually the title does matter. I mean, I, I've said many times that it almost feels like the most underrated or the most unimportant trophy in football. No, nobody really seems to care whether you win the championship. Everybody cares about whether you get out of it. And I don't think West Brom will be sitting today regretting the fact that Leeds got away from them and they finished 10 points behind and that the, the title could have been theirs had they not dropped points in, in games where they, they shouldn't have done. Although I have to say, when you look at the final table and you look at the stats, it, it ends any argument about who was the best team in the division. You know, finishing 10 points clear of the rest of the field is it is a real show of strength from Leeds. And I think it's justified on the way they've they've played right the way through the season. But it is that moment that you get. You know, it's not just promotion. It is the title. It, it is the trophy. And again, Bielsa, just wonderful to see the way that he's been drawn into it. You know, wonderful to see them pulling him into the crowd to lift the trophy himself. Wonderful to see him do it, but almost do it with mild embarrassment or, or this desperation not to look too overawed by it, not to look too um, enthusiastic, really to, to let the players have the moment, but equally to, to be on the, you know, right on the fringes of it and smile as, as broad as his face. He, I wonder, actually, I mean, these have been two really hard years under him. You know, he, he pushes the players really long distances. He pushes them in ways that a lot of professionals wouldn't put up with, wouldn't be able to put up with. And I think Patrick Bamford said it, you know, it can be a love-hate relationship. You, you love a lot of what Bielsa does for you, but you hate quite a lot of what he makes you do. And I think, you know, Motherball is probably the best example of that. But this little period, since they've won promotion and where they lifted the title, the pride that he's shown in them, you can see it in his face, you know, the, the affection that he obviously has and, and the affection that, that they'll be feeling from him. I just wonder if that's going to help them next season. I wonder if it'll help everybody to to reset, to refresh, everybody to feel like they've had the moment and actually to feel like they are 100% appreciated by him because we all know that they are. You know, he, he never makes much secret of that. But I can imagine when you're getting pushed and, and when training's hard and when it, it feels like a slog, you maybe wonder how grateful he really is for the, the hours that they're putting in. But you can see it in his face. He, he evidently owes them a lot and and he evidently feels that this is one of his, his crowning achievements. And and it just feels as if the season has ended in exactly the way that it needed to be and, and in the way that everybody needed to feel. I think the Bielsa moment with him lifting the trophy was it was the, probably the one admittedly small element of seeing it on a screen as opposed to in a stadium where it was much better because you got to see that close-up expression on his face. And it was, it was beautiful the way that I think it was Bamford, first of all, went over to try and get him across and he was kind of saying, no, no, thank you. Then Calvin Phillips went across and dragged him in. And to see that look, it was so... Because he's quite a shy and subtle man, generally speaking. I know he's prone to outbursts, but generally speaking, when it's something like that, when he's in control of his emotions, they're actually quite slight on his face. But you could just see that in his own very Bielsa-ish way, he was enjoying that as much as I've seen him enjoy anything. We touched on the cuddly granddad thing, didn't we, in the, the last podcast? And there was a, a almost a sense of that. Of It was like a, a grandfather being past his grandchild when he got the got the title and he just looked he looked as proud as as I've ever seen him and you know it can be bemusing sometimes that to see Leeds play so well and then to see Bielsa afterwards with so little emotion in his face and so little emotion in his voice and constantly high standards which even on the days where you think they have been met haven't been met you know always kind of always kind of pushing but I think you see now what it's all about it's not for show and and it's not because he wants to come across in, in a certain way it's because this is what he's this is what he's aspiring to, you know, this is what he wants to do and that's what he thinks needs to be done in order to get there. And, and when you do get there for him, as I say, you, you can feel the gratitude 
spilling out of him. I just think he'll he'll remember these players in in this way forever. I think no matter what happens now, I think they'll they'll he'll always have affection for them and, and he'll always remember them fondly. And I, I think the feeling will be mutual. I think his seriousness has been with not having finished a job until now. And it's nice to see that he has been able to relax now. And I actually thought back, considering what happened last night with Frank Lampard complaining about Liverpool staff members and stuff, and the difference between the way Lampard put himself right at the centre of those semi-finals, so ultimately meaningless celebrations last year, and the way Bielsa, who's absolutely been at the centre of everything this club now is, was desperate to almost be at one side of the celebrations. I just thought it was a really nice contrast between the two. And not to get into a competition as who's a better human being, but... Bielsa is a much better human being. He absolutely is. Do you know the thing that got me? And it happened on the videos that we saw in the wake of the celebrations with the promotion. But then again, uh, last night at Ellen Road, it's the players singing his name and Victor Orta bowing down to him. It's the things like that that just, I don't know, I, I, felt, I don't think I've ever felt so complete when it comes to supporting Leeds, not for such a long, long time. Leeds are a club that can become like the Wild West. And, and one of the things that always threatens um, the loss of control is somebody nominally in charge of the dressing room who can't actually keep it together. And I always think it's the start of the slippery slope at Leeds when you have a head coach or a manager who doesn't have proper autonomy and doesn't have enough authority to to run what's going on under his nose and, and in the building and, and round about him. It, it is prone to falling apart as, as factions develop and, and egos kick in. And this has been a, a theme right from the start in analysis of Bielsa and analysis of, of what Leeds have done by recruiting him. They have taken on somebody and, and they've taken a head coach who people are scared of, but scared of in a healthy way. A, a coach who people wouldn't dare cross, a coach who people wouldn't dare question, somebody who asks for things, expects things, and, and who people know that if they don't meet either halfway or, or meet on his terms will be very unhappy and, and will will therefore cause a problem. And, and I think it has needed that for 15 years at Leeds. It's needed somebody in, in proper control, somebody who's bigger than the owner, somebody who's bigger than any of the best players in the dressing room, somebody who is the focal point and who can, you know, can command total respect. And you've seen that in the players, you know, they, they do respect him hugely. I don't think there's anybody in the dressing room who doesn't feel like Bielsa has improved them or doesn't feel like Bielsa has, has been fair with them. And, you know, as, as hard work as he can be, and there are, there are aspects about him, particularly when it comes to the transfer market, that, that, that do drive the club to distraction. You know, even in the boardroom, they realise that for all the money they've spent and, and as expensive as um, as Bielsa has been, they, they have been blessed to have him because this was a, a deal that could quite easily not have happened two years ago. There's an interesting contrast there, actually, with Frank Lampard. When you get the sense when you saw, you know, the in-dressing room footage of Lampard celebrating and on the pitch in the playoff semi-final last year, you get the sense, and because he's quite a young manager, you know, he's a good uh, 20 years Bielsa's junior, that Frank Lampard very much wants to be one of the lads and still part of the group because he's only recently out of that world, I guess. And you always hear from footballers that one of the things they miss is the camaraderie of being in the dressing room. And you wonder if Lampard almost wants to be mates with the players, whereas it's the complete opposite when it comes to Bielsa and the distance that he puts between them, which is what's made actually all this footage over the last uh, seven days or whatever of Bielsa being this gloriously cuddly human. It's made it all the better for me. Yeah, without wanting to be defensive of Lampard, I think you touched on something quite important, which is the, the age difference between them. And, you know, if, if you go back to Newell's old boys in 1990, you were seeing a very different Bielsa then when they won the, the Apertura title 
his the, the first one under him and the first one or, or at least not the first one in, in ages for them but you know certainly a, a rare rare title for Newells. He he was a different animal and a different beast and and he celebrated in a way which I think you get the impression with hindsight he kind of regretted he kind of regretted letting himself go in that way and, and was very careful afterwards not to, to celebrate in the same manner and, and equally I mean just almost uber respectful of everybody in these celebrations he hasn't tried to needle anyone he hasn't tried to settle any old scores he, he hasn't dug anybody out he, he hasn't criticised anybody I thought it was great in, in the press conference he did before the game against Charlton the way he went through everybody he wanted to thank but not in that kind of cursory you know a lot of people behind the scenes the kit men the t- everybody always talks about the kit men and everybody always talks about the tea lady even though there probably isn't even a tea lady at most clubs these days you know you have people who run the kitchens but the old sort of tea lady I don't imagine exists in, in a lot of places but he specifically went through the bus driver and, and a gift he'd had from the bus driver, naming names in the kitchen at Thorpe Arch. And, and yes, the kit men and yes, the, the other people behind the scenes. But he said a couple of times, yeah, I'm, I'm worried about leaving people out here. I don't want anyone to think that if if I haven't mentioned them, I, I don't want to mention them because I, I, I genuinely do. And it's just, there just is a, a kind of wholesome personality there, which I think is, is quite rare in football. And I don't, in a lot of ways, I, I I don't think that should be seen as a criticism of of managers. I think it's what football does to a lot of people. I think it's the way professional football strips you back and and encourages you to breed this certain level of arrogance or high and mightiness that that he just doesn't have. And it would have been it would have been very disappointing if at the end of it he hadn't got involved and he hadn't looked like it like it mattered because you see how much it matters to to everybody else. But it would have been disappointing as well if it had been. You know, if if this had been his chance to kind of give stick two fingers up to Spygate and, and other things, he's not spoken about any of that. He hasn't gone back over old ground. And I think, you know, all to do that at Derby, it was it was amusing and, and it was funny, but I think that wouldn't have been classy for Bales or something like that. It just wouldn't have been him and, and it wouldn't have been good. And I, I'm at the point now where for all the, the gnashing of teeth over Spygate and other little issues last season, I, I don't really see how anybody could have a problem with Bielsa because he just is the, the manager's manager. Right, I'm going to tee you up with a question now. So think about this one. Don't answer it right away, but we'll do it towards the back end of the podcast. So have a, a think about this for a few minutes. My question is, quite apart from the promotion, what have we learned from this season? What's the takeaway from it? So we'll come back to that at the end of this. And I'd be interested to get your thoughts about what it means for Leeds United as a club, apart from the promotion. If you want to upgrade your appearance and get yourself looking really, really sharp, get on board with Harry's, the sponsors of The Phil Hay Show, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Jeff and Andy are the guys who are behind Harry's and they set up their own company and bought their own factory because they were sick to the high teeth of paying too much for expensive razor blades. So they thought they would sort the problem out themselves. Quality blades at a fair price. Harry's now almost half the price of the leading five blade brand. You can get started with Harry's. The trial set is just $3.95 and in that you'll get everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, including a weighted ergonomic handle, a precision engineered five blade cartridge. There's a rich lathering shave gel in there and a travel blade cover too. Join the army of fellas who subscribe to Harry's, including Phil. Get the handle, the five blade cartridge, shave gel and travel blade cover at harrys.com forward slash Phil Hay. That's harrys.com forward slash Phil Hay. Quick chat if we can about the boss and how that one has been handled by Leeds United because, I mean, we did this on the Square Ball podcast this week as well in in the wake of it uh, on the match ball. It feels to me like a bit of a misstep by the club and I'd like to get your opinion on this if we could, Phil. 
Yeah, let's not beat around the bush. There are a lot of people who are unhappy about this, and I'm I'm not at all surprised. I was walking down low fields. I, I went yesterday to do an interview with a French broadcaster who's who, who's planning a, a big feature on Bielsa covering his entire career. That will be broadcast in, in France in September time, October time. I was, so I was down there early uh, yesterday. We've been up Beeston Hill, and um, I was walking down low fields around about sort of four o'clock-ish when somebody came over and said to me, have, have you seen the bus behind the, the conference and banking centre. And, and I hadn't, but when you looked, it was quite clear that it was a Pullman's open top bus that was being dressed up in champions banners. And I think my, without knowing at that point much about it, I think my assumption was that it wasn't going to be for a proper um, open top street tour because it didn't seem that that would be possible without prior organisation. But you did assume that, that it was going to be used in some way for the players to, to step onto the top of it. I mean, this situation is really complex, and it's complex because of COVID. You know, if there was no COVID, and if the if there were no restrictions in the way that we've seen, you would have you would have had a repeat of '92, where there were however many tens, hundreds of thousands on the street, and it would have been an organised tour, open top bus from one point in the city to another, and, and people would have lined the streets, and and that would have been the plan. And and I still think you would have had people outside Ellen Road on Friday night and again on Saturday after promotion and the title. But the, the bus, and, and also last night as well, because, you know, the, the title was, was getting lifted. But there would it would have been easier to have planned what to do with this and, and it would have been easier to have gone through the conventional routes that kept everybody happy. And this, the process of deciding on the bus was kind of multi-pronged. Leeds were involved, the council were involved, the police were involved, the, the um, safety advisory group who kind of... Um, rule for Leeds United on these issues were, were also involved as well. And the feeling seemed to be that if a large crowd gathered at Ellen Road, the bus could be used as a way of starting and finishing the celebrations, i.e. creating a cut-off point at which stage the supporters would know that it was finished, that the celebrations were done and, and they would, would go. And, and the council have issued a statement this afternoon when, in which they kind of say that they feel that in the end that's what happened. It, it did empty quite quickly at Ellen Road once the, the players had gone from the top of the bus. Um, and, you know, the, in the end, I don't think there was much, if any, trouble at all and it all seemed to be good nature. The problem is, and I, I cannot I cannot question anybody who feels like this, there were messages right the way through the week about the importance of staying at home. And, and this was coming from the very top of the club, you know, in, implying really that there was no reason to come to the ground because the trophy was going to be awarded inside. You know, it would be televised that they'd lead specifically let multiple broadcasters in to make sure there was as much coverage as possible. So people did stay at home. There were people who didn't come down to the ground. There were people who listened to that. There will have been people who assumed that there was, that aside from actually gathering with your fellow supporters, there were actually not a lot of point. Um, because there would be nothing going on. And I think the overriding feeling, certainly from the contact I've had today, is that the people who, who didn't listen and the people who did go down and the people who didn't stay away were the ones who were ultimately rewarded um, by the um, by the open top bus. They were the ones who were rewarded with the moment. And I have to say, I went out onto Lowfields um, straight after the game and the atmosphere was fantastic. It was it was, it was was great to be there. And I know people who weren't, weren't able to be there or didn't go Don't down. make it worse, Phil. But, but this is it, isn't it? You know, they'll, they'll hate hearing that. And I, and I totally sympathise and I totally understand. And I think it's very difficult to console people and it's very difficult for Leeds not to draw criticism over this when they've told people to stay away and in the end the people who didn't stay away were the ones who were there to see all of that 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 went on. I think it's probably important to stress as we did when we mentioned it ourselves uh, on the match ball that 
I don't think anybody's pointing fingers at the people who did go down at all because it's completely understandable because um, we saw it across the city, you know, with the celebrations at the weekend, people want to get together and enjoy themselves. And ultimately that's, that's going to be a personal decision, isn't it? Isn't it? That's based on your, your own conscience and uh, what you think is the right thing to do. I think it's important to sort of zero in on the fact that it feels like inconsistent messaging that you've just said there, Phil. I think that's what's at the heart of this. I mean, Michael, we, we spoke about it before, so we probably don't need to do it again in full, but um, are you on the same page with that? Yeah. If they'd not said anything, and then there'd been a bus there, and it'd been kind of like the other nights when people have gathered down there, because there's not been that same strong stay-away statement, has there, until until the Charlton game. I know like, earlier in the lockdown, there, was, there were messages being put out by the Trust and things, but this feels like the main one that the club pushed to say, don't come down. And like I say, I'm not going to get annoyed by people going down there because I can completely understand it. And in a way, given the season we've had, it almost feels churlish to have too much of a go at the club because if a poorly arranged uh, trophy presentation is the thing we have to contend with at the end of every season, I think in the main fans are going to be all right with that because it means we've had a good year. It just, it does just feel like a bit of a kick in the teeth for people who've followed the rules on this. But I mean, I wasn't down there and, Part of me wishes I was, but again, as as you're saying, it's a lot of personal circumstances there. I've got parents providing childcare who are seeing grandparents, and as much as anything, I've kind of it's for my own convenience that I want to make sure I've not I'm not going to be passing anything on. So, but I realise not everyone's in those circumstances, or some people will have thought they were, you know, they're going to take the risk, and maybe we'll stay away from from anyone else for a week or so if they're, if they're, if they're being particularly cautious. I, I just felt they got it right on Friday night when the crowds gathered right after promotion and the players were inside the, the stadium. In taking the players out onto the steps behind the, the east stand on Lowfield Road, but keeping them behind the gates, because to some degree, given that the crowds were there and there were thousands of people in the streets, it would have been disrespectful in that moment to have ignored them. And and I know everybody's supposed to be distancing and, and I know COVID is still a problem. And, you know, that is a wider issue here. And I think, you know, in, in the broader sense... In circles where you're not talking about Leeds supporters, there will probably be some criticism of the fact that, that or there has been some criticism of the fact that there was an open, you know, essentially an, an open-top bus um, in a scenario where you're still supposed to be keeping your distance and you're not supposed to be having mass gatherings. But I do think on Friday, it, it would have been disrespectful not to have reflected the fact or not to have acknowledged the thousands of people who were outside the gates. And, and I, I feel with hindsight that they could have done that again last night. They could have got the players out onto the steps with the, the championship trophy. And I know it's not the same and I know it's harder to see and, and I know it's not as visible and it's not quite the same spectacle as, as having an open-top bus. But again... I think you would have been in a position where you could have said, look, we did ask people to stay away and, and we weren't trying to encourage it, but there were thousands of people outside and we only felt it was the decent thing to do to at least acknowledge them and, and to you know, t- to be there with the trophy. I just don't think it needed to be done with an open-top bus. And I don't know, per- perhaps in the grand scheme, doing the bus kept things in check and, and meant that the people who were down there with, were happy with the lot and, and got what they were looking for. But it just felt to me as if, you were never going to be able to square it with the people who were sat at home saying, well, we didn't come down because we were told not to. And ultimately this was all planned. I think that's the thing, isn't it? It was a premeditated decision rather than a thing that happened spontaneously like it was on Friday. But it is what it is and it's done now. So I guess we move on. On to Meslier now. Transfers, obviously now going to be the hot topic of the summer. He's been completed just a short while before we uh, we started recording this particular episode on top of Helder Costa becoming permanent. And um, what are we expecting to see then over the coming days and weeks, Phil? Well, the first thing is going to have to be Bielsa's contract. The 
agreements were already in place or the agreement was in place for Costa, that was always going to happen automatically. The plan was always to take up the option for Mesley, which they have. Um, it's changed slightly with Jack Harrison, so he'll come back on loan next season, but the option moves on to the following summer. That was due to, to be taken up before the end of May, but obviously at that point, they then started games again. There were no games going on. The season wasn't finished. It, it was difficult for people to know um, how it was all going to end. So they, they if they take him on permanently next summer, which I expect them to, they'd be paying slightly more. So you'd be looking at £10 million rather than £8 million. But ultimately, it kind of suits everybody to do that. In terms of new signings, it's going to be a little bit tricky to go the whole hog with them, I think, until they get to the point where they know that Bielsa is definitely staying. Having said that, I think they'll have a good idea, well, they do have a good idea of what they're looking for and what they want. And I don't think that would change drastically if Doomsday Scenario Bielsa decided that he was going. And I still don't feel that that is at all likely. I'm sure you you would think that surely they will be able to meet get on the same page about what he needs and what he wants and on the basis of the last two years we'd be quite happy to give him what he wants as, as long as what he's asking for is, is reasonable so that's the first port of call and it was quite telling I thought on Tuesday that Bielsa said look we, we need to get the Charlton game out of the way and then we need a few days just to let the feeling of all this subside which was almost him saying I'm not going to be we're not going to be beating Charlton on Wednesday and I'll be signing up on Thursday morning you know this is going to take time uh, everybody needs couple of days, little stretch to reflect and to think what's what. But that is going to have to come around quite quickly now. And, and I think once that is done, you'll start to see some, some pretty quick movement in the transfer market as well. But that is undoubtedly priority one at the moment. Is there any risk that he might not sign up, Phil? Because I think that's obviously the big fear that you would have among the fans, you know, because just there are little sort of indications of maybe a, a tiny bit of distance between the club and Bielsa. And I, I don't want to over-dramatise it, but you've heard, uh, you know, Radrazani did the interview saying that any manager should be privileged to come and manage Leeds kind of thing. So you just wonder, is there is there a great deal of distance uh, between the two? You remember last season that it took time and it took time, even though it was very apparent that Bielsa wanted to stay, it was very apparent that Leeds wanted to keep him. And I think with the average coach that sort of situation can get resolved very, very quickly. But Bielsa always has expectations. He always wants to know the fine details of what's happening. He he always wants to know to what extent he's going to be supported in the things that he's asking the club to do. So it will be complex because it's always complex with Bielsa. And I remember somebody at the club saying to me, the reason it took so long to appoint him in the first place was not because of money and not because of the contract, but it was because we couldn't ever get him to focus on the contract. When you try to say to him, we need to finalise the legalities of this and the, you know, the, the sort of technical details of the contract, he was only interested in speaking about what was going on at Thorpe Arch. Had they sorted this? Had they dealt with that? Was this agreed? Was that in place? And and it was a case of, yeah, yeah, yeah you know, that's all done please can you just sign the contract for us so we can we can process that and get you work permit before we, we miss the deadline for it. Um, but he doesn't rush into that sort of stuff, so he will take his time. And common sense tells you, or your, your gut feeling tells you that, yeah, there'll be no issue with this. But he is probably one of the few coaches who could go from a scenario where he wins the championship and, and is heading into the Premier League to actually decide to go separate ways from the club and, and to move on. I just don't see it happening. I, I couldn't understand where that would come from in him, you know, not wanting to, to go into the Premier League and, and have a crack now. But I think everybody at Leeds always says this to him, you never second-guess him, ever, which doesn't mean mean to say that there's any issue with this or there's any problem, but you should never be presumptuous. Well, let's work on the assumption that he is staying. 
uh, because the alternative feels quite horrible at the minute. Let's enjoy this moment. As Bielsa seems to be doing, let's let's bask in this glory a little bit. One person who's not going to be by his side, then Carlos Corbran's just being confirmed as the head coach of Huddersfield. Interesting move by them. Yeah, it is. And it feels as if an, it's a bit of an attempt to tell, well, not even a bit. It feels as if it is an attempt to tap into what Bielsa's been doing at Leeds. And in some respects, if you are wanting to tap into what Bielsa's doing at Leeds, Corbran, aside from Bielsa himself, is the only avenue to go down because you would never get Pablo Quiroga to go. You would never get Diego Reyes to go. You would never get Diego Flores to go because they are so tightly tied to Bielsa. What they call his, his iron circle round about him that he goes to a club, they go with him. He leaves a club, they leave too. They, and at the drop of the hat, when he calls and says, look, I'm off to Lille, I'm off to Marseille, I'm off to Leeds United, they down tools and, and they go instantly. Um, Cobram is different. Cobram was here already when Bielsa came in and, and he was taken into the fold and he became one of his, his assistants. But he, you know, he, he is one of those that is kind of independent to some degree uh, from Bielsa and has been able to learn from him, but as his own ambition and, and I don't think, you know, has, has been a 100% committed part of Bielsa's team, but don't I don't think sees himself as necessarily a Bielsa disciple forever. You know, I think there was always ambition there to manage and always ambition to, to head out on his own. And I, I can see why he's gone for this, because you can, again, never be presumptuous about how many times a fairly highly ranked club is going to come and, and ask you to manage them. You know, he's never been a, a manager to any great extent, Cobra, not at, at first team level. And as much as in Leeds, you know, people will joke about Huddersfield and whatever else. They are a championship club and that is a very, very good job. And it's a, it's a you know, it's a, a prominent job in, in English football out with, the you know, the, the Premier League and the, the very top end of the championship. And I suspect in his head, he'll be thinking, you know, if I say no to this, when is it going to happen again? You know, if I if I say no to this offer, who is going to be the, the next club that comes around the corner and says, well, absolutely, we'll... We'll take you. I mean, this relates actually to something Luke Ayling um, spoke about when I did a, an interview with him a month or so ago. When he went to Yeovil from Arsenal, Yeovil is not an exotic destination. They're not a big club at all. You know, it, it is not even comparable to Arsenal in any way. But he hadn't played any first-team football. He was starting to creep towards the age of 20. And the concern in his head was that if he said no to Yeovil, if he turned them down, which other League One or League Two manager was going to gamble their job on him? You know, somebody who was in Arsenal's academy but but hadn't played any games, wasn't really proven, was a was a, a bit of a risk. Um, and it's the same with Corbyn. You know, he, he might be thinking to himself, if I don't go to Huddersfield, what will be next for me and, and who will be next along the road saying, yeah, come and, come and be our manager? What I wonder is what exactly he's getting over into over there. It doesn't feel like a happy place, Huddersfield. It hasn't felt like a happy place since the kind of middle of the or earlier in their second season in the Premier League. There just seem to be problems there. There seem to be dissatisfactions. It, it doesn't seem to be going well. And it strikes me as a tough gig. You know, it strikes me as a tough gig for your, your first role in management. And and I absolutely wish him well, because he's done really good things with the first team and, and with the 23s at Leeds. But uh, I, think he'll, I think it'll be a challenge. And good luck to him taking the step down to these lower league clubs, not like Premier League Leeds. I am just jesting, of course. We very much like Huddersfield, don't we, the Yorkshire club. So uh, just a quick update then on what, what's happening with the players now because the new season, the Premier League season, kicks off in um, six or seven weeks, doesn't it? So not a lot of time to turn this one around. We have to move quickly in the transfer market. Presumably the players are going to get a little bit of time off. I know they've obviously not uh, been playing right through. They had the, the COVID break, but that was very unique circumstances. Do they now get a chance perhaps to have a holiday? Yes, they, they'll get two weeks now. They'll get two weeks to go away, go abroad. I, I would imagine that for many of them, they've never felt 
the need to refresh themselves more. You know, as much of a buzz as this past week will have been, it's been the longest season any of them are ever going to have. You know, it's almost August and we've only just wrapped it up. And, and you know, even July the 22nd is still the day of the, the actual lifting of the title and the title celebrations. Um, and I think they will, I, th- I think everybody at the club, including Bielsa, can see that they need some time away from each other and they need a chance to just switch off um, and to properly draw breath. And um, so it was agreed, you know, beforehand that they would go away if they went up. Obviously, if they, if they hadn't gone up, they'd have been uh, automatically, they'd have been in the playoffs, which if you make it to the final, is going to drag on to August the 3rd. And it's very difficult to see how you could allow them anything more than the briefest of, of periods of holiday after that, because it, it is literally four or five weeks before the season kicks in again. Although we haven't got strict dates at the moment, we haven't got fixture lists, anything like that is a lot to still be sorted out. But yeah, they will go away and, and I think this will probably be a holiday they've earned like no other. Of course, if they were asked to come back in a couple of weeks, Pontus Janssen might want three or four weeks off, something like that. He might object to it, which is ironic given that obviously they're in the playoffs now at Brentford. Well, neither them nor West Brom held it together at all in in the last week. I know West Brom got there in the end, but it was really nervy against QPR last night. And Brentford have gone from this side who seemed like they were absolutely destined to win the last nine games or the last 10 games as, as it would have been for them to a team who really, really seemed to suddenly feel the pressure and get consumed by it right at the point at which West Brom finally stumbled. You know, that defeat for West Brom at Huddersfield, it it sent Leeds up, but the likelihood was that Leeds were going up anyway. What it really did was it opened the door for Brentford, who lost to Stoke the following day and lost to Barnsley um, in the the last game last night. And it just puts a question mark over the the team who should be winning the playoffs comfortably, I think. The infinitely better than Fulham, they, they are better than Cardiff, they're better than Swansea. But these last two games, I think, will have knocked the stuffing out of them a little bit. So it becomes a, a fascinating shootout. Um, and it's also going to be the most rapid playoff shootout you've, you've ever seen. You know, once again, a bit like we've been seeing with these games, in in a week's time or so, 10 days' time, this will be done. You know, it'll it'll all be over and, and we'll know who's, who's going up. Your money would still be on Brentford because they play the best football out of those four. But the playoffs are just weird like that. I did have to have a little smile this morning when I saw a tweet from a Brentford fan saying uh, Ponce still hasn't left the ground at 11.30. The stewards are there waiting for him to shower. The lights are off and everything. And, they, you know, it's hit these players mentally tonight. And you think, this is, it's so Pontus, isn't it? It's just, as, compared to last the celebrations we saw, I, I, you do wonder where Janssen's personality would have fitted into all that because it is very much a team thing. And, you know, he he did always like the focus to be on him one way or another, didn't he? Well, that was part of the reason why it went the way it did. I wrote in that big piece I did on Bielsa last Friday that it was just a case of reaching the end of the line. Bielsa was kind of tired of him, was kind of tired of, of his character and, and wanted a, wanted a change. Um, so Janssen went and Janssen went for what was a pretty low fee, you know, £5 million to Brentford. And, you know, I, I actually think it's been a great signing for them. And I still think they've got a, a great chance of going up. But you're right. I mean, it was it, it is a bit symptomatic of what went on against, the, against Derby in the second leg at the end of that game last season. The only thing I would say in Janssen's defence is that he was one of the people who texted the players at Leeds right away after the promotion last Friday. So did Roof as well, you know, players who were there last season and, and have since since moved on. But they are gonna they are gonna have to clear their heads pretty quickly and they are gonna have to make sure that after so much quality football from them, let's let's get it right, that they don't get picked off by a team who, who don't really deserve to be beating them to it. In unrelated news, you remember you wrote the article on the Athletic about a rival player who had um Messaged you asking if everything was all right at Leeds. Have you heard back from that player? 
No, I haven't actually. No, I haven't. Important to say, I never said it was Janssen, and it wouldn't be right to say who it was, but no, no word from them since. And considering that from that Luton game onwards, Leeds have pretty much cruised and have, as Forshaw said, turned it into a formality, I'm not entirely surprised. I mean, 10 points in the end, 10-point gap to second, when you consider how tight it was to begin with, with West Brom, and how there were points at which you you were starting to worry that Leeds might get reeled in and, and might get sucked down to third. They've been exceptionally good in this period. And, you know, I, I wrote a piece about two months ago in which um, I was talking about how well Bielsa tends to do from standing starts. And I know they lost down at, at Cardiff and I know there were the drop points at Luton. But you have to say they've been primed perfectly for this period. And, and their form of the nine games has been better than anybody's. Finally, let's answer that question I set for you a little while ago about what do we take from this season, quite apart from the promotion. Who wants to go first? Michael. I think both this season and last has just reminded everyone what a big club we are all of a sudden. It never properly went away, but there's been times when there's been 17,000 there on a Tuesday night. 17,000 really quite annoyed, bored, skint people paying through the nose for terrible football when it's felt like we would never be big again and that maybe all those fans had disappeared and then all of a sudden you get some, you get a great manager in, a team you can be proud of and the whole city feels like it is, it is more behind the football club than, well, than I can probably ever remember. Two things for me. The first is that quality coaching, high quality coaching matters more than a big transfer budget. Both are incredibly helpful, but I don't think you can beat a quality coach. I don't think you can beat somebody like Bielsa who can take players and make them better by working with them as opposed to taking a squad, looking at it and saying, no, I don't like these, we'll, we'll clear this out and, and sign, sign other people. In terms of this season, I think what it's taught me is that if you have confidence in something and, and if you believe that a system isn't broken, regardless of the fact that you've lost in the playoffs to Derby, then stick with it. You know, stick with it, commit to it, pay the money that you need to pay to commit to it. Don't abandon it because that is what football does. Don't abandon it because it's fashionable to change or it's easy to be impulsive or easier to be impulsive than it than it is to kind of hold your ground. I mean, I, I look back now and I think, you know, Bielsa didn't think Leeds would want to keep him last summer. They, he, he thought that because they'd lost in the playoffs, they would consider that he'd failed and, and they would almost certainly want to change. And I'm really struggling to imagine a scenario. I mean, I, I was told that two of the names on the list to, to replace him if he had gone because Leeds had to do you know they had to do a bit of due diligence they they had to preempt the possibility that he turned up one day and said look I've had enough I'm going back to Buenos Aires uh, thank you and, and goodbye so two of the names on there were Karanka and Yukanovic Yukanovic obviously gone up with Fulham Karanka had gone up with, with Middlesbrough but I'm really struggling at this stage to, to look back and or, you know and, and visualise a scenario that would have delivered what they've delivered this season, would any other setup have produced it with a you know similar squad and a similar transfer budget and everything else? Would it have delivered the points that Leeds have got ninety three points? Would it have left them ten points clear? Would would they have been able to finish the season with this streak of wins that they have and and such outstanding form since that defeat at Forest? I'm I'm not convinced, and you know it's it's not the case that sticking with managers is always the way to go. Some managers blow themselves out. Some managers are inept or, or underperforming and need to go. But I think, I mean, you can you can comment on this as well, but I just felt last summer that even though the disappointment had been so acute, it was almost impossible to find anybody who thought that the right reaction to that was to change head coach, or that the right reaction was to get rid of Bielsa. And I think, again, the City's kind of played its part in this because the City, for the first time in ages, has been able to 
keep the nerves intact, has been able to to keep everything under control, and has been able to keep faith in in the project that there's been under Bielsa. And it's you know the the decision to appoint him initially was was inspired, and I think the decision to keep him last summer was obvious but equally inspired because it, it's a time where you could equal you know easily jump and and go go for a different path. So yeah, that that would be my that would be my big lesson from this season. Strange you mentioned that actually because I listened back this morning. I, I think for the first time to the podcast we did straight after that, as in like minutes after that defeat to Derby. And one of the things I said on there was, "If Bielsa stays, I feel all right with this," because I didn't want it to be another summer of tearing it all up and starting again. Because it felt like it was so near to working, and thankfully we've seen the results of it this year. Think of it this way: if Corbering goes to Huddersfield and asks the players to diet in the way that Bielsa asked them to diet. If if he goes there and asks the, them to do weight targets in the way that Bielsa does, if he tries to implement murder ball, which for what it's worth, I doubt he will because I don't think any of the coaches who, the players who've been under Bielsa and have then gone on to be coaches have tried to replicate that. But if he tries to be Bielsa at Huddersfield, is it going to work? I'm not so sure it will. I, I think you'll find a lot of players who might be resistant to it because they don't really know what Coburn's credentials are in the way that Bielsa's are, are so obvious. And I don't think there was any way last summer in which he could have had a, a transition from Bielsa 1 to Bielsa 2 to essentially having the same setup and, and the same strategy. He's so unique that to some extent you would have to have abandoned it if he wasn't there. You would have had to have taken a different view and to have, to have moved in, in a slightly different direction. I just think... So often in, in the past 15 years, you've wanted continuity and, and you've wanted stability, which hasn't been you know, an argument for sticking with things that aren't working. But I think everybody felt that it did work last season and it was great last season. And it was just that horrible little bump right at the end that, that did them in. But, you know, psychologically, you, you hope that that works in your favour second time round. You hope that it, it, you know, it's cliche to say that you learn from it, but that you see things in it or you feel things in that period that, prepare you more for next time and that's how it's felt because with the exception of that game against Barnsley which was just literally the final drag to the line it hasn't been a tense season it hasn't been a tense running it's felt tense because these things always do but you haven't felt as if the players were wobbling I think you hit upon the truth of it there Phil there is no Bielsa too there's only one Bielsa and thank the Lord that we got him and as you said on the previous podcast this is his triumph and it's the players triumph as well and it's been Absolutely amazing. You can catch every single word of Phil's coverage on our return to the Premier League on The Athletic. There's a 30-day free trial available now if you go to theathletic.com forward slash leads pod. We'll return next week. Speak to you then. The Phil Hay Show. 